Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. You're listening to On the Environment, a podcast series from the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy. For more information, visit the website at envirocenter.yale.edu. I'm speaking with Eric Christensen, who today was at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, giving a talk about bottom-up energy production and supply, lessons on energy democracy from Denmark. Um, Eric, I think that many people in the United States might not be familiar with the Danish energy transition and what it looks like. Um, Could you start out by giving us a picture of what are the goals that Denmark has and where is Denmark right now with renewable energy? Yeah, I'll do so. Thank you, Chris, and thank you for inviting me to Yale. It has been tremendous to visit you and speak to your students, and uh, it's a wonderful university. Uh, Speaking about the transition, the energy transition in Denmark, uh, we have a situation where we had an almost unanimous parliament decided what to do until 2050. And uh, in 2050, we will be a fossil-free society, uh, not having fossil fuel uh, for for any purposes in Denmark, including transportation. So transportation will be based on renewable energy too. Uh, What we do is to use electrical vehicles uh, for the transportation purposes and uh, for electricity and heat consumption we had uh, we had a, we have a goal for 2035 where 100% of uh, energy consumption for electricity and heat will be based on renewables so that's the target and uh, already in 2020 we are supposed to have 50% in wind energy for our electricity consumption in households and uh, we are uh, ab- uh, above schedule uh, now you know we are we are doing it very well so we think that we we can reach the goals in 2020 2035 and especially in 2050 so the goal is 100% renewable electricity by 2030 yeah and this is something that uh, many people and even many uh, energy experts say is not possible to have 100% renewable electricity. But Denmark seems to be doing it. Yeah, uh, I think it has to do with the the way we have organized uh, things. Um, We have a national grid uh, controlled by the Danish state. Uh, and they are balancing uh, the grid uh, every day, and they do it professionally. Um, when we have days with a lot of wind, they switch off, uh, popular saying, uh, they switch off the central uh, CHPs, uh, combined heat and power plants, and um, they have um, 100% wind energy. We have actually had uh, days in 2013 and 2014 with 100% energy uh, from renewables, uh, from wind. So, so it can be done, but you have to have a smart grid. 
and you have to have a professional controlling the grid. And it's something which is lacking in many countries. Uh, I'm involved in a European project called Rescope 2020. What does Rescope stand for? It's a renewable energy sources for cooperatives, uh, and it's in Europe, and it's supported by the European Commission. And um, I can see that... Uh, we have situations in European countries where you don't have this kind of uh, organization, you don't have uh, an entity or an agency controlling the grid or taking care of the grid. And uh, you you leave it to companies, national or multinational companies or other companies to control the grid. And if you have a situation like this, it's difficult to change it overnight. Uh, and you have to convince politicians to make alterations in uh, your organization of uh, your uh, grid, for example. That's just one issue of many issues. So the Danes are where they are with renewable energy, partly because of how they've organized it. Yeah, I, I think so. And because we have, um, we had the oil crisis in the 1970s and it affected uh, the Danish population extremely. Uh, you know, in a, in a situation in where you don't drive your car on Saturdays or Sundays, that's almost impossible. So many Danes, they, they had uh, on their own body, so to say, uh, the feeling of not having energy or enough energy. And it was before uh, we realized that we had oil and gas in the North Sea uh, so since uh, late 1970s, we have been self-sufficient with oil and gas. And even we have had this situation with self-sufficiency of oil and gas, the politicians decided to uh, to promote uh, renewable energy by having feed-in tariffs for wind and uh, solar energy and so on. They say, well, oil and gas will well disappear or you can't get oil and gas for centuries from the North Sea. So we have to adapt to the situation where you don't have these fossil fuels any longer. And that's why they have used the uh, intermediate period to to change our energy system. And I think that's cleverly done. But in Finland and Sweden, they also experience the energy crisis. Also countries where you have... Uh uh, threat of being very cold in the winter, um, very dangerously cold. So why did they not take the same path at the same speed that Denmark has? Well, well in Norway and Sweden, they have uh, hydropower. Uh, and uh, in Sweden, they have nuclear power too, and the same in Finland. So they call it uh, renewable energy to have nuclear power. In my point of view, it's not new. It's not a renewable energy. Why is it not renewable energy? Because you have an, you have a situation where you can recycle the system totally. You have to put away the remains from uh, nuclear power plants for centuries or maybe a thousand of years. And with the renewable energy uh, or installations like PVs or uh, uh, wind turbines, well, you can recycle the wind turbine today totally. What else contributed has contributed to Denmark being so... Um, Denmark doesn't have nuclear energy. Why is that? 
Well, I think that uh, the opposition uh, is too big. Uh, people don't want nuclear power. It's too dangerous uh, in in people's mind. And um, well, we they actually had a discussion in the Danish parliament. Uh, you know, should we have nuclear power or not? And they decided not to have nuclear power. So, so it's a different situation than uh, the Swedish and uh, Norwegian people have. You know, we have a, a government or a parliament uh, telling us unanimously, almost, that we we want to go in, in another direction. So Denmark, in the last twenty years, has really accelerated and upscaled the amount of renewable energies it has. Yeah. Now, what has this meant for citizens? Uh, what has this meant for people's everyday lives? Is it uh, all the birds are dying and there's noisy <laughs> windmills on all sides <laughs> and noth- nothing in uh, Denmark coastlines is beautiful anymore? Yeah. I mean, what has it meant for people? Well, speaking about birds, uh, I've been chairman of the, the offshore wind cooperative for almost 18 years now and i haven't seen one killed bird uh, i would say it's a silly bird uh, flying into running wind turbines uh, so i i don't think that uh, you know it's a story about wind turbines maybe you have one uh, eagle or something like that killed by one wind turbine but i haven't seen that uh, due during the many years i've been chairman i would certainly hear about it from all the ornithologists or something like that, but I haven't heard one word from them. Uh, So in the daily life, um, you know, we can feel it um, because they're turning down the coal-based CHPs, central heating power plants. And um, uh, if you don't have the coal, uh, you know, the the remains emissions from coal, uh, you can feel it immediately uh, in the place with ore. Uh, in a, suburb, a suburban area of Copenhagen, when they close down the coal, as uh, uh, you know, as the basis of um, uh, heat and power production, you could feel it immediately in the air. So, so uh, if you, if you want to breathe in a healthy way, uh, it has been very good for for you, uh, and for the Danes, it has been uh, you know a possibility to invest savings in uh, energy projects dealing with uh, renewable energy. Uh, We have had so many, we have so many uh, energy uh, wind cooperatives where Danes have uh, spent their savings uh, just to be part of this energy uh, transition. Can you explain how a cooperative works uh, with renewable energy and how is this attractive to people? Well, uh, for the first years, we have a feed-in tariff uh, it's not that much, but it's uh, the beginning of, uh, you know, when you start a, a wind cooperative, you 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 need to have a, a certain amount of money in your pocket. Uh, and um, uh, what we do is to, to say to people that uh, if you want to invest in this, it's partly a shareholder's value, you get a profit out of it, and it's partly an environmental issue. Uh, and we we have cooperative members of both. They are idealists, you know, economical idealists and environmentalists. So we have both in our member among our members. And um, 
when it comes to economy, uh, we have shown that we can run the wind turbines in a very professional way as a cooperative. Um, we had uh, a German uh, research company called C.A. Cook. They made a research where they compared us with uh, big companies like Shell and Vattenfall, big European and international companies. And they showed the results of their comparison. And uh, they said, this is incredible, but uh, the cooperative, the wind cooperative, they have saved a lot of money and they are running it in a very professional way and they are running uh, uh, cost efficiently. So, so you know, for for many Danes, it has been it, it it's normal to be be part of a, a local cooperative dealing with wind energy or dealing with district heating. Uh, though you are not a member of a district heating company or cooperative, uh, you are still a consumer connected to the district heating grid, and the district heating system is a non-profit system in Denmark, you're not allowed to have surplus on the top, uh, bottom line. So so uh, many people think that this is a good way to to convert from gas, individual gas boilers and oil boilers to the district heating system and to the co- cooperative. Now, in Europe, there's been a, a cooperative movement, <clears throat> especially in the north of Europe, for over a hundred years. But this is something that in the U.S., maybe people are less familiar with. I mean, could you explain what are the basics of a cooperative? How is it different than a for-profit investor-owned business or a non-profit business? Well, well, if it's an investor-owned business, like a wind energy project uh, with a wind uh, cooperative, um, well, you you have to take care of, of the operation and maintenance system, and uh, you have to be aware that um, you have to have a surplus on the bottom line. So every time you you buy spare parts, every time you do uh, something in your day-to-day operation, you have to be aware that this has to be, well, at least a zero result for the shareholders. Uh, we don't want shareholders to have losses. So, so we are working to have surplus on the bottom line. For a district heating company, it's something different. Um, you uh, you have a non-profit system where you are operating and maintaining the system in exactly the same way as if it's a shareholder's company. Uh, but you are looking for every coin in every corner uh, to, to see if... Uh, if you can have uh, or minimize the expenses, you know. It's uh, a low-cost budget you are operating on. And if you are not having this low-cost budget, uh, people can complain to a national uh, energy agency and uh, you can get fined if if you are not acting as you should do in this uh, district heating cooperative uh, where you are not allowed to have profit. So cooperatives, anybody can buy a share if they live around a wind installation, right? Can you explain that law in, that's recently been passed in Denmark about participating, uh, local people being able to participate in energy projects ownership? Yeah. It's a law from 2008, and it's called the Renewable Act. 
and it's uh, it's telling us how to act when you want to implement a new wind energy project, for example, in a rural area. Um, if you find a site, uh, you have to make a thorough planning. Uh, you have to have uh, the uh, impact assessment as you should have according to law. And um, after having made your research, uh, you have to have uh, an e- economical budget of the project. And um, you have to show the neighbors that uh, this is going to happen. Uh, if you uh, If you're interested in the project, you can be part of it. And uh, the neighbors, they have an option, according to law, to buy 20% of the project value. Uh, So uh, the neighbors, they might be interested in being uh, uh, participating in the project. So the law tells you that you are obliged to give an option of at least 20% to the neighbors to buy shares in, um, in the project. And, uh, and this makes projects more popular? Well, I, I wouldn't say popular, but more acceptable uh, because of, of it's obvious you, you will have somebody who is against uh, the, a giant wind turbine as a neighbor. But um, I, I have to say that um, in many projects, uh, um, almost all the neighbors say yes to a wind project because they want to be uh, shareholders. Uh, if you look at the the Milgorn Offshore Wind uh, Cooperative, we have had an interest rate of uh, <clears throat> on an average of six percent during the last uh, thirteen years. Um, so I think it's a very good business for for people. Though we are on the spot market when it comes to the payments for for electricity. So it's been a good investment for people. Yeah. And it, it, it is, it still is. In the northeast of the U.S., an area that has uh, high heating costs in the, in the winter, uh, we don't necessarily have what in Denmark is called uh, district heating. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you explain how that type of system works? Well, well, you you establish a cooperative um, where you have a goal, which is we want to uh, implement a district heating system with a central uh, power plant. Um, it's uh, normally run by wood chips, wood pellets, straw, gas, natural gas from the North Sea. And um, uh, you supply uh, heat or if it's a combined heat and power plant, it's uh, power and uh, heat power to the national grid, electricity grid, and heat to, to the local community. And um, those who are members of the cooperatives, they are invited to the annual general meetings and decide what to do with uh, the energy system or the grid. And those who are not, uh, they are ordinary consumers connected to the grid. And um, we have seen that the cooperatives, they can compete when, uh, with, uh, with the private companies when it comes to uh, the comparison of energy prices concerning heat. Uh, we have seen that uh, cooperatives, they are maybe 30 to 40 percent uh, lower in price than uh, other companies. 
So I think we we managed to tell people that the cooperative movement concerning district heating is uh, running a successful business and uh, for for the consumers and for the members. Eric Christensen, one of the things that is often said about renewable energy and especially the idea of making renewable energy a majority uh, of the electricity production is that it will involve spiraling costs, um, high costs that people can't bear, um, that people will lose jobs, and that it will be a disaster for the economy. If it's even possible, some might say that it's not possible to have 100% renewable electricity as, as Denmark is planning to do. But Denmark hasn't had um, major economic problems so far, in fact, is doing well in comparison to other European states. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you talk about these ideas that it's going to cost too much, it's going to lose jobs for the country rather than create them, and that it's not possible to do what Denmark has set out for itself? Yeah, when when it comes to the costs, uh, well, renewables are uh, expensive when you buy them, but uh, after a period, uh, you you realize that uh, they can compete. I told you about the district heating cooperatives, uh, which are operating in a very professional way and manage to uh, you you know compete in a way that uh, private private companies can't. Yeah, they can't manage to to. To compete with the cooperatives, so so you're right to say that when you buy the renewables, it's expensive as an investment. Uh, we have seen, we we have always heard, uh, you know, having renewables will increase energy prices when it comes to electricity. We have had the total opposite uh, situation in the Scandinavian countries. We have what we call North Pool. Uh, and it's uh, it's a pool where you sell electricity from hydropower, ele- wind energy, and so on in Norway, Sweden, uh, Finland, uh, Germany, and Denmark. And we have never seen that low prices as we have at the moment. We have a price of three cents per kilowatt hour, and uh, it's amazing. Uh, and we have learned that this is due to renewables. Uh, because wind energy is pressing, putting press on prices, uh, and even the nuclear power plants owners, they complain now that wind energy is, uh, well, they're destroying business for nuclear power plants. So so I think uh, it's, it's one of the rumors, you know, like the bird killing and so on. It's rumors about re- renewable energy. Uh, so if you want to see how it can be done, well, just look at the North Pool. You can control it uh, by internet and see the prices at the moment. So it's an investment. Are you a poor country? Well, you can act with World Bank uh, subsidies. Uh, you can in Europe. You can have subsidies from or loans from uh, the European Commission and so on. So I think, um, in a long-term perspective, renewables are there uh, for for the future. Um, the other part of it was uh, how can we make the transition or uh, how can we do the transition? 
Um, I think you have to have showcases locally if you're in a situation where you don't have renewables in your countries. You have to have showcases. And in many countries... By showcase, you mean examples, examples. pilot examples. Exactly. Uh, And I know that in Germany, for example, people took the power in their own hand and in in small communities they, they made... Renewables and they are self-sufficient with renewable energy when it comes to electricity and uh, heat. So if you have very good examples locally, uh, you know, people are speaking to other people and you, you create a wave in the country, a renewable wave, which is spreading the news that this can be done and it can be done successfully. And why not? So, so I'm amazed of, uh, you know, listening to people saying this is uh, something very expensive and it can't be done. Uh, it's not right. It can be done. So you just have to act uh, 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 in a way you feel for it, and you, uh, you, you know, you have to to be in a very good uh, cooperation with with your neighbors and the local community to do things like this. In places where an energy transition like Denmark is is undergoing is not taking place, I think it's still very common for people to talk about their experiences with electricity as something that's separate from them, outside of them, done by other people. Mm -hmm. And yet, apparently, for Denmark to have gotten as far as it has... It's become a personal experience for Danes, and they've supposedly come to feel like this is something that they are part of. Mm-hmm. Could, can you say a little bit about that, and what has that been for, for Danish citizens? Well, well, if you're invited to participate, uh, you normally say yes, uh, and especially when it comes to uh, your energy consumption Uh, We pay a lot in taxes in Denmark, and we have taxed energy consumption too. So uh, energy consumption is uh, something you can feel on your pocket, in your pocket. And, you know, uh, every time you you have to pay an energy bill, uh, you can feel it immediately. So if you're invited to participate in uh, a local uh, cooperative energy district heating company or something like that, you of course you 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 want to be part of this because you want to control your uh, your costs in your household and why not? Uh, I think it's obvious that uh, that you should be uh, involved in th- in things like this uh, because energy isn't going to be cheaper. I think energy is going to be uh, more expensive if you don't control it as a consumer or a, a member of a cooperative. And I think uh, the cooperative movement is is the best way of handling the situation of controlling energy prices. So what if you're an urbanite in Copenhagen, not part of a cooperative, but want to get involved, know that the Danish transition is something that some people are doing? What what can a, a, a citizen like that do? Well, well first of all, we have uh, local agencies dealing with uh, energy save, uh, saving measures. And they are giving advice without getting paid for that. And uh, you can go to these service centers and ask them to, uh, to give you good advice. 
and uh, you can phone me for example i've had uh, many telephone calls uh, from uh, citizens what can we do when will the next wind project be in copenhagen and so on and i say well if you're interested just follow uh, what is going on and uh, be aware of what is going on in the, the society or in your municipality and maybe you should be active yourself starting a wind cooperative or district heating cooperative or whatever in in your municipality your municipality in the rescoop initiative at uh, from the european commission what are some of the goals of this um, rescoop and how many more or less cooperatives has this rescoop 2020 found in Europe? Well, well, we have found. Um, I think we have uh, two or three thousand cooperatives through our, throughout Europe. Uh, in Copen, uh, in Denmark, uh, sorry, uh, in Denmark we have uh, approximately seven hundred cooperatives. So, so we are taking a good part of that. But the Germans, they are expanding the number of co- energy cooperatives, and I know that in Belgium and Netherlands they are doing a fine job too. So actually, um, uh, we we think that people, they, they want to be part of cooperatives. And when they listen to the stories from other cooperatives, they want to copy uh, the cooperative in their local community. Uh, what's it all about is that we want to have a common platform for uh, common... Uh, issues for uh, cooperatives, energy cooperatives in Europe. Uh, it's Rescope 2020 is supported by the European Commission and uh, we actually just realized that for the first time ever we are mentioned in a, a draft version of a directive. So uh, having uh, you know, a spokesman or you could call a lobbyist in Brussels means that we can influence the European policy on on uh, this level. And uh, I think it's very important for us to uh, to show that there's an, another way to go than having uh, national companies, multinational companies or whatever to control the energy market. We can, as citizens, be able to control it uh, ourselves. And in Belgium and in Holland, you have colleagues, I'm thinking of Dirk mm-hmm. and Seward, who also um, help manage cooperatives in those areas. Could you say a little bit about EcoPower and the Dutch yeah. cooperative? Yeah, uh, EcoPower is an organization uh, where people, they uh, invest their savings and they have EcoPower as a tool, you can say, to to make uh, renewable projects throughout Belgium, and uh, they're doing a very fine job. I I say I, I have to say that because uh, they are very clever people, and um, uh, what they do is to find jobs, uh, sorry, find sites for their projects, and they set a limit for the interest rate of a certain project, and if uh, the interest rate is is higher than that. Uh, they they use the surplus for other projects uh, in EcoPower uh, in the organization. So uh, so that's how they're dealing with 
with their system. They have another system. Uh, you know, uh, we we don't copy that system in Denmark. For us, uh, we don't have a an organization like EcoPower. Uh, every cooperative is its own in Denmark. So every time you have a new project, it's a cooperative, a new cooperative. In your talk today at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, you mentioned that there are 650 cooperatives uh, related to energy in Denmark. The calculation would say that if this if the United States had the same density of energy cooperatives, this would mean over 35,000 energy cooperatives wow, in the U.S. congratulations. That's a really good future. <laughs> well, this is something that um, we might talk about in the closing of, of this conversation, which is it might be difficult for people to imagine a their country, their region, um, having these changes with new infrastructures, new equipments, new businesses, cooperatives, and a, a new social landscape coming along with these, these new technologies. I wonder if we could just talk for a couple minutes about what Americans might learn from Denmark, which at this point is the country with the most renewable energy per capita in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, well I, I don't think that I'm here to, to teach you what to do. Uh, I, can, I can tell the Danish story and uh, based on Danish traditions, Danish history and so on, uh, I think you have to invent your own uh, history or your own future. Uh, because maybe it's an, uh, another situation in the U.S., but but uh, you you might get inspiration from the Danish system, uh, and if you say it's not possible, well, I'll gladly invite you to come to Copenhagen or to Denmark, and you'll see it's possible. And I don't think that Danes are that much different from uh, from Americans. I think we think in the same way. We all need energy. You have freezing cold winters. And uh, why not um, why why not be interested in uh, controlling your energy production and your energy supply uh, as a citizens? I I I can't understand why it shouldn't be obvious to be interested in that. Well, Eric Christensen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's for been a real pleasure to have you at Yale University today for all of these events. Thank you very much, Chris, for having. Uh, me here today is uh, it's very great. Uh, it's great. I have a great time here. If people want to find more information about ResCoop 202020, uh, where can they find that? Well, it's easy. Rescope.eu, and you'll find any information you want. Great. Thanks again. Thank you.